I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Because the building is very important. I've noticed something here lately. Sister Laurie, if I could get a little bit more monitor up here, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. Seen arguments and people getting involved on, you know, people are bored. And when they're bored, people turn into real tough people behind a keyboard and they can feel the safety of their own home by the Kraus and they seem that they get really bold and they start typing things and pointing their fingers. There's certain churches, certain pastors down south that uh, continue to have church and I had I'd noticed people getting involved and, and, and throwing uh, insults and, and tearing them uh, down for having service. And then I heard people say, uh, the guy, you know, he shouldn't be having service. He should be thinking of his people. Um, even though I may have an opinion, I'm not going to spend much time giving it. It's irrelevant. Here's the two sides to every story. And uh, bless them for doing that. I don't think he's twisting their arm for having church. I don't think he's forcing people to have church. Um, but at the same time, I also saw people making statements. Well, the building's not that important anyway. Uh, and uh, so the church is within us, and I understand that. But the building is important. That's, that's what they told us when we were at church and the pre- preacher was up in the podium preaching and all of a sudden, no, it's not that important. If the building wasn't that important, Jesus probably wouldn't have taken the time to make the whips. And the Gospels, a few go- uh, uh, disciples that wrote in, the, in the Mark and Matthew probably wouldn't have taken the time to say Jesus made the whip and beat them out of the temple because they were misusing the building because he thought the building was pretty important. And so I do believe that the building is important. But under these circumstances, I'm thankful that even though that we are being forced out of our building right now, uh, that we still are the church. And that you can outrun the presence of God. David said, if I make my bed in hell, there he is. Now, he wasn't saying if he died and went to hell, that Jesus would be with him. What he was saying is hell being the very depth of any situation, the worst uh, possible situation that you could be in, that Jesus is never going to leave us. He said that in his word. I'll never leave nor forsake you. And so I'm glad to this this afternoon. That even though we are not able to all come together, that we still feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. Very thankful for it. Uh, Yes, last week I think I preached for about 40 minutes. And I I thought since I was a TV evangelist last week, I figured I'd try to look my best. and, And I had pride and I kept my jacket on, but I about passed out. So I just took it off. So I pray you don't have a problem with that. I'll try not to leave behind this podium right here. And uh, I, I do have nice dress shoes and stuff on. So even though you can't see me, but I got my dress coat off. 
But I'm doing it because I don't want to sleep on this floor right here. I'm very thankful that everybody's with us this morning. And I am aware that there's more than just uh, our uh, uh, church, McCormick's Creek, together. And uh, I do want to quickly, this is my mind, to to apologize. Wednesday night, my phone was playing tricks on me. I think I've got that uh, problem fixed. And when we go on Wednesday, I pray that I don't have to... Uh, deal with the same problem. If you have your Bibles with you, if you're back from your cookie break and get your coffee. See, while I'm up here preaching, everybody at home is drinking coffee and eating their snacks. There are benefits, right? Our benefits. Sister, oh, sister, I just I just seen Sister Laurie's coffee up there. She's bragging up there and I'm I don't have any coffee, so. Hebrews 11 and 3. Hebrews 11 and 3. I promise I'll try not to preach as long today. Uh, I, I do have something that I want to say. It is a little difficult, as Brother Krauss can tell you and the singers here can tell you, that we're singing to an empty church. Uh, it's, it's hard. I'm looking out. I'm just acting like that there's all kinds of people here. I do, I do want to quickly testify before I read my scripture text. I got a call the other, or a message the other day rather, and a young man that, uh, recently started coming to our church, his wife messaged me and said, my, my husband really, really wants to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I met him over here, uh, the other evening and on Thursday, and I baptized him in Jesus' name. See, we can have church despite of all this stuff. The Lord's still moving. And I feel strongly that when we get back here, people are going to, 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 they're, they're going to treat this place a little different. It's not going to be just commonplace. We got used to being here. We got used to coming in here. And even though we, 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 we had reverence for this place, we just, it's always been here. And you kind of take it for granted. Something's always here, but when it's been taken from you and I believe it's going to be be restored back to us, but it's going to be great in a greater way. I think we're going to come in here with a little bit different attitude when we walk in here. Just goes to show you that your service may could be the last service you're ever in. You don't know what's going to happen. So you better have church on purpose and with good purpose and good intentions while you're here. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, through faith, we understand that the worlds, notice it said worlds, we live in a world, but he, it, it was a very, it was a plural word when he said the worlds were framed by the word of God. We know that God's word spoke the heaven and earth into existence. We know that the sun, moon and stars were hung by the spoken word of Jesus Christ. And when I say Jesus, I mean God. He is name is eternal. So pardon me if you don't agree with me calling him Jesus. But his name is eternal. He's an eternal God. So I'm just going to use his name. Right. So we know that his word spoke the world or uh, this universe into existence. But here it says that the worlds were spoke, spoke or framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
And I, I want you to be seated, those of you who are here, and I pray that you would help me preach. Um, it's interesting to note that the Greek word translated worlds, plural, in this verse is certainly not cosmos, which is translated world many times in the New Testament when the Bible talks about the world. It refers back to the universe or this planet that we're standing on and the sun, moon and stars, the world that we know it. The word uh, rather was a plural of Eon or Aeon, excuse me, or the age of a period of time. It is similar to the English word Eon. So the meaning of the scripture is not that by faith we can understand that this earth was framed by God's word, although that is certainly true. But this verse, however, is telling us that through faith we are to understand that God's plan for the ages was complete from the start. That the worlds or the time frames or time, time slots, every dispensation of time was uh, created by God's spoken word. In other words, it was already done. God foreordained every single era before the beginning of time. He foresaw creation. The period of law, and he foresaw the church age, and he foresaw the millennium. He predestined Satan do, Satan's doom, and he predestined the church. He predestined the great white throne and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I don't preach on individual uh, predestination. I don't believe that you're predestined to hell. I don't believe that you're predestined to hell or heaven. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that the church that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ was bought. It was bought and it is predestined. The church is his bride and he's coming back after a bride. It was predestined. In other words, there's no surprises. And Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 said it like this. He said, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times and the things that are not yet done or happened in, uh, uh, in, in our own time. He had already seen it. He said, the things that are not yet done. According to your clock or my clock, but God seen it when and then he went on saying my counsel or that word counsel comes from the word purpose shall stand or shall arise. And he said, I will do my pleasure. Hear me. I, this is an important thing. I told you last week I wasn't going to continue beating a dead horse about this virus and our situation. And I wasn't going to sing the blues and cry about the quarantine, which I'm not very happy about it. Going stir crazy and I'm not the only one. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that this uh, is eating because I'm not getting enough exercise and doing all that stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot of people frustrated about that. But I want you to know something that God established the time that we're in. Hear me. He, he, he's already established. 
And and I love the scripture when at the very beginning of the scripture, he declares something. He draws a line in the sand of authority and he said, I am God. In other words, I'm in charge. The government's not in charge. Our governor's not in charge. The politicians aren't in charge. The police department, although we should respect it, they're not in charge of the time that we're living in. God is God by himself. And beside him, there is no other. He's in charge and nothing happens without his say. Aren't you glad today that you serve one God, that his name is Jesus? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. He's got the beginning taken care of, and he's got the end taken care of. When we look around and see the news saying everything's falling apart, and everybody's, the world's falling apart, and it continually gets worse and worse and worse, the Bible says that God is in charge. And the next verse, or the next uh, phrase, he said, and there is none like me. I heard a song this morning that I was listening to it. He said, I went to the tomb of Muhammad and he was there. I went to the tomb and named a bunch of different people that men through the throughout the oracles of time that's worshipped. And he said, those men were there. But they said when they walked into Jerusalem and looked into the tomb of Jesus, the good news was that he wasn't there. And the reason for that, I know this message may be for next weekend when we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I got to tell you something this morning, even before this message is important, even before Easter, to know that Jesus Christ, that is God manifested in the flesh, he's still the first and the last and the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's in charge. He's in charge. Say, well, they got this government and all this and that, and blame people, blaming everybody for, for the issues we're in, and they tell them, tell them we can't come here and we can't come, go there. What if God has purposely shut down this world? While we're blaming Satan and blaming the world, that we think that they have all this power and all this authority. And I'm sure I understand that there are certain things that this world's going to do. But hear me, they can only do what the God that I'm talking about lets them do. And they are literally pawns under the hand of God. And this wasn't in my notes, but it reminds me of when Pharaoh, well, God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. If you study that, you'll realize that God micromanaged that situation and manipulated the heart and mind of Pharaoh. When he said, you tell them to let my people go. He said, all right, you can go. And then they started leaving. And God said, no, I'm going to harden his heart. And he brought them back over and over. I can't remember how many 
times God played with the emotions of Pharaoh. But I truly believe it was God's way of punishing a man that held the people of God hostage for years. And then at the very end, he told them, he said, I want you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and everything that held them hostage for 400 years in their past. They watched him die in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be seen anymore. That is the power of God saying, I'm in charge. There's no God beside me. No God beside me. I didn't tell you what my, my title was. Sorry, I didn't tell you. you didn't put, I, I'm, I just got so excited. I'm preaching on the inevitable revival. Something that's inevitable. It, it's, 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 in other words, I don't have the, the exact definition, which means it's, it's, it's going to happen. There's no other choice. That, that there's, there's no, nobody can do anything about it. Hear me. Hell and all this world cannot stop the church. We know the scripture. One of our greatest scriptures in Pentecost, we say upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Why? Because this church was bought and blood bought with the blood of Jesus Christ which was priceless, and there is absolutely no way. Hear me. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be a televangelist. I, I hate that mentality, but I, I feel kind of silly doing this right now. But if you're at home, and you're depressed, and you feel, and, and you feel like everything's falling apart in your, in your world, just know this, that God's still in charge, and nothing gets past God without God saying, It's okay. God's going to have revival. He's going to have revival despite it. You can leave the church. You can try to uh, come against the church. You can try to shut the doors of the church. But nothing is going to stop the move of the Holy Ghost. You can study that throughout the... History of the Dark Ages. You read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and realize that the church was persecuted, persecuted beyond uh, just the human mind. They they were butchered and burnt and oil, boiled in oil and nailed to crosses and gutted and filleted to death and beat to death and hung on crosses. Why? Everything was meant to try to keep the word of God out of the people's homes and try to shut up them up and silence them. And there were churches. Uh, like the Catholic Church that were burning Bibles. It's in our history book. I'm not here to cast stones, but that's what was happening. They were trying to take the knowledge away from people. And the only guy that could read the book was the man, the quote-unquote man of God that stood by. And nobody was supposed to read or study for themselves because they understood that were understanding and knowledge of according to Scripture was power and built faith. And the devil understood that, and he seeped into churches, and he tried to stop Silence the voice of men and women of God. And he killed them after over and over throughout our history. You can find that there was a bloodstream that started since the, the beginning of time of the people of God. That Satan's trying to silence the church and keep the church. And one good example of that is that of John the Revelator. When the devil says, you know what? 
I understand that John the Revelator has power. And I understand that he has a relationship, a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I understand that gee, he's, he's not called John the Revelator for nothing. I understand he acquires revelation. And what he's going to do is pass off this revelation to the people of God. So the best thing that we can do is kill him. And they found fault in him and on some trumped up charges. And they put him in a big old, uh, big old tank of oil and set it on fire under them. And the fire continued to got, got hot and it began to boil him. I can't imagine how he uh, must have felt in that boiling oil as the oil began to boil off layers of skin. But they had a, uh, a law then called double jeopardy. We've got that law today similar to that. that You can't be tried for the same law or crime twice. And he didn't die. So the best thing that we can do, because we certainly don't want revival coming from John the Revelator, what we'll do is we will put him on an island and we'll seclude him from the people of God so he can't communicate with the people of God and we'll fix him and revival will be stopped. But can I tell you something? You can't stop an invisible God. And even though you can silence the messenger, you can't shut out the message because all alone when the devil thought that revival was stopped on the island of Patmos, Jesus come down on an island where nobody could do anything about. And Jesus handed him revelations and through his pain, that word got back to us and it created even a more greater revival than this world's ever seen. Can't stop it. It's already done. You know, my favorite, the, the church knows it. And you're going to say it. You know it at home. You all know it here. What my favorite scripture in the Bible, when the Bible says that the lamb was slain even before the foundation of the world. You know why that's my favorite scripture? You know, you, you want to know why? And I say it all the time. I'll tell you why it's my favorite scripture. The reason it's my favorite scripture is because God being the God of every dispensation of time, he already been at the end where we was, where we hadn't been before we were ever born. He's already been. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He already knew the world's problems. And he said, you know what? Before the enemy ever sticks his head up, I'm going back at the beginning of time. And I am going... See, it's hard to understand that because our minds are only geared by time frames. But God, being the God of every dispensation of time, has the ability to go back and forth. And that's why he knows the beginning from the end. And so by the time he got to the end in his mind, he said, you know what? I'm going to make a way before they ever need a way. I'm going to cause, I'm going to create a scenario, a situation, a lamb that was slain before the foundation. In other words, before they ever get cancer, I'm going to take the stripes on my back before they ever need forgiveness in their life. I'm going to take that nail in my hands and before they ever need me, I'm going to create 
salvation before they ever need it. That's why I say I, my, everything's already been done. The world can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter what they do. No, the Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Why? Because he's already been at the end. Said, you know what? They win in the end. So I can tell you right now in your present time that by the end that you get to your tomorrow, I've already won the battle. This thing's already been won. It's frustrating going through these hard times and. And I don't understand it all. I don't understand why this thing's happened. I do understand. I truly believe that this is a man-made thing to try to uh, silence Christianity. And I'm telling you the truth. I believe that with all my heart. And I don't want to get into a bunch of conspiracy theories, but I'm going to tell you something. Nothing's going to stop the move of God. Nothing. Nothing is going to stop the move of God. A while back, I was studying and praying. I'm enamored with preaching, enamored with men that can preach, and even women, the women to preach. And I, I like hearing preaching. I like dissecting scripture and understanding scripture. And I'm reading the scripture, and I found that in one scripture, the Apostle Paul. It just, in my opinion. You all may have a different opinion, and that's fine. But in my opinion, the Apostle Paul is the greatest preacher that ever lived. I love all the preachers that preach it because of the times, all the preachers that preach at general conference and all that. I, I love that. I think that. But you know what? They get all their preaching material from Paul because Paul got his directly from Jesus. And I'm not saying they don't. Get, I'm just saying he's my favorite. Before I say too much, I'm just going to go on. He's my favorite. But I find in the scripture that Paul. Where he is beaten sadistically. And he's put in a prison. And I was studying the scripture and I'm looking at the great things that was going on in Paul's life around that time. Miracles, signs and wonders were happening. Conversions. And he was talking to men that were in political positions. And they and things were happening. Good things were happening. And I'm thinking, my goodness, Jesus, why in the world? You're the author and the finisher of our salvation. You're in charge of Paul's life and his destiny. And he, I mean, he, he is a great preacher. And you've got him put in a prison. I mean, you've allowed it. And the reason why he's in prison is because they didn't want revival to break out greater than it was. But so they thought, well, if we can silence the head, if we can silence the voice of the church and put him in prison, then we'll shut the mouth of the church. I mean, it makes sense. Shut the church doors down. So the revival can't take place. I mean, this is supposed to be a latter day revival. We're in the we're in the time and I preached it for years. So you, brother Krause and you, brother Dave, we preach it, tell about talk about it in Sunday school and you sing about it. We talk about our preachers across our movement preach. This is our greatest time. Empty churches.
and the devil sitting back saying, are you serious? What the greatest? This is the greatest time. You're a joke, church. You, 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 you can't even go to the grocery store. You claim to have all kinds of power. You claim to heal the sick. You claim to be able to have the anointing to open the blinded eyes and raise the dead and all those great things that you so-called church members preach about. And you're telling me that this is our finest hour and the church is empty. That's the conversation I was having with Jesus when I said, Jesus, come on, this is Paul's finest hour. He's never going to be a greater preacher than he is right now. He has miracle signs and wonders in his, in his mind, in his mouth, and he preaches the, the power of God when he preaches power, things happen and death, or dead people raise and people, blinded eyes are open and deaf ears are unstopped. And the best thing that you can do is put him in a prison. Why in the world do you have him in a prison? You can believe me or you can think I'm crazy and say I didn't hear from God and I ate some kind of bad pizza the night before or whatever. Whatever you think, whatever you want to. But if I've ever heard from God, I heard from God when he said, yes, you're right. I could have opened him and I could have let him out. But he said, if I would have. He said, It would have been rather unfortunate that he would have only affected the immediate people that was in his presence at that time. And the information would have died then. But he said, if you notice, I put him in a prison and I handed him a pen. And if you study the history, that three quarters of the New Testament of Paul, he writes from a dungeon in the worst place that he's ever been in his life. He wrote from prison and revival took off and it didn't die. That day, it happened. It set on fire for the rest of eternity. And that scripture's, uh, that scripture that I'm talking about, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. That includes the words that Paul wrote in a prison. When Paul tried to... His mouth, his mouth was tried to be silenced from the enemy to say, you can't, you can't talk, you can't preach, you can't have revival. Let me tell you something. Some of the greatest revelations are taking place all across our movement in our down times when we're locked in our so-called prison. And the devil thinks that he's laughed at us and he's laughed and said, you know what, This you think this is the greatest church. Let me tell you this. According to the scripture and historical events, the greatest revivals were birthed out of and trials and tribulation. The devil thought he was doing uh, himself and all of hell a favor when they put Jesus in a tomb. What he didn't understand this. It was his greatest mistake to try to put truth in a secluded place. Here I'm preaching next week's message, but you can hear it again. The devil thought he was doing himself and all a hell a favor to try to silence truth. But hear me, when he put that lamb in a tomb, he put that bloody lamb in a tomb. What he didn't expect, there was three days later, that lamb would walk out a lion and this world would be set on fire. Let me tell you something. 
This world may be silenced from the church for a few days, but when this church rises out of the tombs, something greater is going to happen. I truly believe that the scripture that Joel talked about in Joel 2 is going to come to pass out of the pain of what the church is going through right now. For he hath given you the former rain moderately. But he said, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten and the canker worm and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. And I believe that the scriptures that rings loud and true that we preach for years when the Bible says that the latter rain. Would be greater than the former rain. The latter rain. We're talking about the church. Hear me. The latter rain, the end of the church age, would be greater than the former rain. You mean the sanctuary? Well, I'm talking about the church when you study the book of Acts. You mean the church that was set on fire and it was a powerful church that everywhere they went, miracle signs and wonders happened. Deaths were, dead people were getting up, leprosies were being cleansed, uh, deaf ears were being unstopped, the eyes being opened, the blinded eyes, and all kinds of miracle signs and wonders were happening. You're trying to tell me that we are living in the church, the last day church, the latter day church that's going to be greater than the former reign. And I rebuke the mentality of people that say, you know what? We had great times back then in the Brush Harbor days. And my grandma and grandpa, they had days and those days are over. Let me tell you something about God. God's church was built in the fire. And He didn't design a church to be more powerful in its infancy than He did in its adulthood. And this church that was born in the fire, God didn't expect this last day church to just to succeed in the smoke of remnants of a once upon a time great church. Not this church. Not this church. This church are facing a world with about 7 billion people rather than I don't know how many people that was there when that scripture was written. It was nowhere near the 7 billion mark. 1998, we hit 6 billion in our world. Now we're up towards 7 billion people. But I believe that As time becomes near, that God is going to have a revival that far exceeds anything that we've ever seen. But what the church has to do is that we got to stop. We got to get we got to get sick and tired of being complacent with the same mindset of how we have church and what's on our mind when we come to church. And if the church could ever learn to have church on purpose instead of just having church on accident.
What do you mean by that, Brother Hill? I'm telling you, I'll tell you what I mean. By when we do come together, is we're going to have church and we're going to ha- we're going to have our hearts and our minds on him not football games basketball games deer hunting fishing and all that stuff and i'm not against any of that stuff but god can't pour out a revival in our midst when everybody's got their own mindset thinking about everything else when jesus poured out on the day of pentecost the bible says they were in one mind and one accord and suddenly suddenly See, we want to suddenly, we're not willing to have our minds in one accord. It's not enough just to gather in person, but we got to gather here with one mind and one accord. I think that's what's going to happen when we get back here. My goodness, I keep getting glimpses of this church being packed. Listen to me, when you come back, all you McCormick's Creek people and anybody that's hearing me, whether you're a backslider and used to come here or you're a backslider out of somebody else's church, I'm not asking you to come back to McCormick's Creek. But what I am asking you is whether you go to Brother King's church in Bloomington, Indiana, or whether you go to Brother Knoll's church in Bloomington, Indiana, or whether you go to Brother Brother uh, Hawkins' church in Ellisville, or whether you go to church, Brother Harpo's church in Terre Haute, if you can find a way to make it Back to the house of God. I'm asking you to have church on purpose. This is not my commercial to try to build my own kingdom and our own church. I'm asking you to find your way back to an altar. Why? Because God has planned through you, through you, through you to have and house this inevitable Revival. He's already doing it. He's already doing it. I didn't hear me. It's he's already doing it. I saw a thing where brother brother Harpo in a text the other day. I, I'm pretty sure it was him. If it's not, it's another pastor in this area. They back back uh, back. Excuse me. They have baptized six people, at least six people, in the last week, and they can't even have church. And so Jesus is moving. Singers are going to sing. If you could take just a few moments. Bless you in Jesus' name. Oh uh-huh.